Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by Ian Smith, Companies Editor. How are you doing, Ian? Not too bad, John. How busy are you week. Doing? It's been a very busy week for results. A bit unforeseen, a bit of a wave of results came yeah, through. March trying, year ends. Maybe they're trying to get them in early before they can all have a proper summer, which means we will be able to do, which would be amazing. That would be great. And making her debut on the podcast, Megan Boxall. How are you, Megan? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Well, good to have you on. Thank you. It's, it's all very fun and relaxed on this, uh, this podcast, <laughs> so uh, get in the spirit of things. I'm right. Ready. Okay. Let's uh, let's kick off. Seven days. I mean, Bradley's not here today. Bradley usually talks through seven days, but there's a couple of things on here that we've picked out. Let's start with one that we've just been talking about off air, the flotation of a posh clothing company called Jules. Or Jules. <laughs> <laughs> what do you we've think, Megan? Dis- we've just been discussing how you pronounce this because, you know, I'm not posh and I don't have a clue. Well, how do you pronounce this? Well, I think it's Jules. Jules? Yeah. Jules. I think it's like Jules. Jules. Yeah, like Jules. Hotel chocolate. <laughs> Which gets a mention as well. Anyway, this is, this is kind of continuing the trend. Uh, having mentioned Hotel Chocolat uh, of these kind of upmarket-ish sort of consumer-focused flotations. Um, what's, what's the reception this one's getting? Likely to get. We know what's happening. We know it's floating, but yeah, what's, it, what's the view? Well, it, it's, a, it's a slightly weaker time on the high street than they would have wanted, and we've seen some of the retailers reporting kind of weaker footfall. So it might not be the most ideal time to float. Um, but, but then I, hotel, hotel chocolat—that that was a, a very successful flotation. Yeah, and like we just discussed before, Hotel Chocolat has that whole kind of gift market, which is slightly different, isn't it? So I, I, I will um, admit that I didn't know anything about this company prior You're to You're not posh either, then. Yeah, uh, yeah I, well, yeah, clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> is it good? I did know about uh, this, believe it or not, because my children were once bought uh, some Jewel uh, Wellingtons uh, when they were very young. Was it good, good Wellingtons? They look great. They look great. My kids didn't like them. Uh, so I stuck them on eBay and got loads of money from it. <laughs> we a dealer. I pray that the gift giver is not listening to this podcast. <laughs> Didn't have any trouble selling it. And, uh, you know, I know I've seen these shops. I think there's one out in Aldborough where we occasionally go on holiday because that's how posh I am. Where, where my family have a house. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Yeah, I'll talk to you about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, right, yeah. So anyway, another interesting uh, retail IP. I mean, while we're on the subject of retail, we might as well jump ahead, Ian, to the uh, results section because we've had quite a few this week, but obviously the big retail result this week was Marks and Spencer. Yeah, bigger result and also a big move on the day. Shares fell heavily. and fought, uh, 7% I think it so, was close to 10% by was the end of the day. Was it close to 10 by the end? Yeah. Oh, my uh, goodness. And, uh, went, and I think we're either flat or slightly lower down the day after results. Um yeah, a kind of a mixture of things. It was um, bad in the areas that we already knew it was bad. So clothing. it was pretty clothing. Yeah, it was particularly bad. Um, comparable sales down 3%. And obviously the food did better than other areas of the food retail industry. But still, you know, you're only talking about a comparable sales increase of 0.2%. So it's, it's not huge, but it's doing well there, obviously. But the, the big reception was for the new plans laid out by the new boss, Steve Rowe. Um, who kind of set out how he's going to try and turn around the clothing division. But he did say that in the kind of short term, 
his measures, um, which include trying to get away from promotional pricing towards kind of lower quality pricing, um, are going to hit profits, understandably. Now, there was some negative reception, obviously, to his plans. Some people thought they weren't detailed enough. Some people felt they weren't communicated brilliantly. He was actually on the Today programme, the chief executive, talking about Mrs. M&S and how we're going to get Mrs. M&S back. We had a little chat about this in the office, because who's Mrs. M&S? Who is who is Mrs. M&S? Well, Mrs. M&S goes to Jules now. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe that's true. Yeah, well, and exactly. they probably buy their chocolates from Hotel Chocolat exactly. rather than M&S. Right. But Actually, yeah, who's doing all right? But, so, yeah. so I think some people weren't that convinced by you know the way it was communicated, but also that you needed more detail. But it, it should be said that these performance figures that have come out you know don't reflect the initiatives you know because the initiatives are now being put into place. Um, so we're we're withholding judgment on those he seems to be talking in the right areas this is the um, uh, conclusion of our retail correspondent Harriet Russell uh, our award winning uh, retail correspondent oh yes as we Uh, mentioned on last week's (laughs) podcast yes Um, fantastic yes she she seems to feel that you know it needs some more time to kind of see how um, his strategy comes to fruition but yeah, it seems to have diagnosed the problem correctly in the results. But yeah, no, more near-term pain for shareholders is obviously not what shareholders wanted to hear. But it was hard to see how the division could be turned around very quickly. You know, what's the magic wand, really? But then I read a criticism earlier today saying, OK, you've identified the problem. But guess what? Mark Bolland did that too. Yeah. And actually, identifying the problem is not Marks and Brent's problem. It's fixing the problem that is the eternal problem. Yeah, and I think that is a real challenge for them, you know, so that's why the kind of tone deafness uh, when it came to talking about the customer, or it sounded so from the outside, didn't give people a huge amount of confidence that they were yeah, that the kind of new management team were going to be able to grab this new customer and convince them to come back into the store. Yeah, because I mean, Mrs. M&S, I mean, that has a kind of suggestion that they're still looking very much towards their core, I mean, let's face it, older customer, and not really thinking about the kind of future customers that they might have like me or you megan or you ian i mean yeah i don't buy a lot of marks and spencers these days apart from uh, you know food well that's why i think it's also interesting is is that and to talk about the fact that debenhams have got a new chief executive announced today who actually comes from amazon who headed up the european kind of fashion bit of amazon a man called sergio boucher i think so Mm -hmm. um has moved to debenhams so that um appointment kind of reflects what retailers are trying to do which is to think more about the kind of e-commerce area and even in um, M&S's results they talked about um, the you know the web-based sales rose by a quarter year on year with a record 7.4 million customers yeah so how are they going to think more about that customer you know and, and all of us rather than kind of a more of a traditional um, Mrs. M&S kind of mindset doesn't seem to be kind of well, it hasn't been estimated by the market to be able to break them out of that. But like I said, it's early days. We haven't actually seen any of this come in. No. So a, a more no. a more considered approach to pricing that doesn't move around as much might get things on a more stable basis. I d- I but get, I'm not sure. Personally, I think I think pricing is not their biggest problem. I think it's product that's the problem. I don't I don't know what everyone else thinks. But you know, I happen to my my wife's um, family happen to live. Uh, near one of Marks and Spencer's very largest stores in the UK, and I walked through there the other day. Clothes looks right, looks fine, you know, and there was lots of them. And you know, actually, thought I could find something in here to buy. I think their problem is consistency. So you know, go to a big store, yeah, it all looks good. Go to you know, pretty much any other high street store across the country, say in Chelmsford, where I live near, and it's appalling. 
is appalling. And, you know, the store estate was always a big problem for, for Marcus and Spencer. And I don't think they've cracked that by any yeah, stretch of the imagination. It's all absolutely not. Absolutely not. Megan, do you have perspective on M&S? Well, as a shopper, M&S clothes are not something that I would touch. But although saying that, Harriet, who wrote this, was wearing a very, very nice M&S jumper last week. She was uh, she was doing doing the brand proud. But yeah, no, M&S, uh, I don't doesn't seem to have got it right. It, it seems to be attract, trying to attract the not big fashion. But if you're not that interested in fashion, you're not going to want to pay as much as I think M&S are charging for their clothes. I would never buy anything in M&S because it's not really that fashionable. And if I didn't want anything that fashionable, I'd go to Primark. That's interesting. It's so much cheaper. Yeah, yeah. So price is an issue. Mm, you yeah, definitely. You can buy clothes so much cheaper in Primark or so much easier on ASOS. Yeah, yeah that whole fast the, fashion is not something you uh, associate with M&S, is no, it? No, no, not at all. Well, if you want any, uh, any advice, uh, Steve Rowe, give us a call. Our <laughs> consultancy fee is very cheap. <laughs> and we're a very well-represented demographic at the Investors Chronicle office. Okay. And, I, and I have an M&S jumper as well. I do as well. It's shrank in the wash. <laughs> I still wear it. <laughs> Uh, okay, right. Let's uh, let's head back to the uh, to the news up front in the magazine. What else have we got here that's uh, that struck you in? Uh... Well, there was a little update in terms of um, Labbrooks and Gala Coral um, that the CMA said that they are going to have to sh- sell off some of their shops, which is not particularly surprising. Not and I surprising. think people in the market thought, oh, okay, that not, not, they're not being as stringent uh, with the companies as they might have been. So, you know, maybe they've got away. So that seems to be quite a good development. So there's a little thing going on there. Yeah, I mean, why weren't subjects of gambling? I mean, let's, let's turn quickly to tip updates because uh, one of the tips we feature in the magazine this week is GVC, which had a very interesting update. They signed a nice deal with, uh, with another high street bookie, Betfred. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to provide the infrastructure for um, Betfred's online business. And uh, as I understand it, this is kind of infrastructure they've managed to improve or bring in via their purchase of BWIN Party. So Mm. it's kind of this case of consolidation, then adding something to your business that you can then kind of sell to a third party. Um, And I think it's quite a long life to the contract um, as well. Yet it's a 10-year agreement. Oh, it's amazing, Uh, GBC, where it's come from to where it's, you know, seems to be now and where it could possibly be. I mean, this is, uh, is, they're really, they're turning this into a substantial business. It, It shows that what you can do how you can grow a business through acquisition, change a business, and then kind of add on other third-party yeah, deals as well. It's just, yeah, you can take a, any kind of company if you manage it right. And we've written about that in the past, haven't we? In features, the managed, management teams that do this correctly can really transform um, an operation. And if Labricks has to get rid of, you know, three, three or four hundred shops, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be thinking someone like Betfred's going to pick up a couple of them, and you know, that's good news for GVC as well. Well, yeah, I mean, except I suppose of the fact that you do have the transition to online, so it's, you know, I, I wonder how much the kind of store is still a currency within gambling. Obviously, that's hugely current. No, I think it relative is. to like banking branches, but still, you know, I wonder, yeah, in terms of investment plans, if they're building their online platform, is that where they're going to look to invest? I think stores are still important. Uh, I don't think, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of retail and uh, gambling and, and everything is moving online. But I, I do think stores are important still, particularly yeah. for things like gambling, especially if you go to some of the sort of uh, lower rent areas of the UK. Royal Mail, we've mentioned them twice in the magazine this week. We have results. 
which were a mixed bag, it's fair to say. Yeah, as um, the case has been with Royal Mail, um, where they're facing competition in the area, which is the highest margin, which is the parcel business. Um, but the, yeah, the, the other bit of related news that was good news for the stock this week was uh, that Ofcom's decided not to introduce um, price controls in the access market, um, kind of the general letters market. So that's really good for them. Mm. Yeah, so they, they people were concerned following the collapse of Whistle was that last year? Um, that, yeah, yeah, that there was not enough kind of, like that market was not a stable enough market. But Ofcom seems to think it's uh, the market in total is working well. If you especially if you look at the competition in the um, in the parcel side of things. Yes, I mean on the subject of my Royal Mail, you know, it's um, I mean it's not been brilliant for them, but UK Mail has been having an even more torrid time. And they've had results this week. Yeah, they have had a couple of profit warnings um, and they're, they're struggling. But it's a case of kind of lowering market expectations and slightly outperforming them. Um, so they did actually get ahead of consensus earnings per share forecasts um, after kind of improving some of their processing um, hub in, Co- in Coventry. It's been a difficult kind of environment for them, but they seem to be kind of managing it better. Mm, and they've just appointed uh, a guy from Parsifal, so you know you'd expect a big uh, a big recruit like that to, to to really have an impact on the business there. We're still sticking with hold, I see. Um, well, it's a yeah, decent it's... Um, decent yield, so yeah. if you're in there for the income. Well, I worry I worry about high yields like that sometimes. Yeah. We had we had an event this week um, up here at the FT, uh, which was on the subject of income. And Algie Hall gave a presentation on the subject of uh, com- how you spot companies cut- about to cut their dividends. And uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, I was on the receiving end of that because I had one of them, uh, which is Rolls Royce. But you know, he concluded actually it's very hard to spot when companies are about to cut their dividends. But high dividends, yeah, you should always be somewhat mindful. That, uh, that that could be telling you the dividend is going to be cut. I mean, you know, Marks and Spencer's got a pretty chunky dividend. Yeah, yeah. If I'm an investor in Marks and Spencer, given that uh, Steve Rowe has warned that there is pain ahead, I'd be uh, very concerned. Been there a couple of times already. Yeah, I mean, what did we had a feature, didn't we, a, a few months back that was looking at kind of what are the more solid uh, dividends. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. Uh, so if it's, anyone um, wants to look up, you know, a metric for how to do that, but obviously cover is the key thing. But there are other things you can look at. Yeah, we got, we, we're going to be doing. Uh, we're going to be launching something soon called Cash Clinic, which is really looking at a company's ability to generate the cash they need to to fund dividends. And uh, Algie's going to be taking what he presented at uh, our event and really t- and turning that into something that we can share with uh, with all of our readers. So uh, yes. Yeah, in these uh, income straightened times, I think it's quite quite important to know that your dividends are safe. We're yeah, going to be really looking at that. It's been a structural huge shift, hasn't it, with people seeking income pouring out of the bond market? Yeah, yeah I think one company that Algie and I discussed looking at earlier was Glaxo. Uh, and they're um, mm. yeah, a big dividend payer, but uh, we do we do yeah. worry about them sometimes. But, you know, Glaxo yeah. is one of the companies you feature in your piece this week, Megan. Yes, it uh, is. Which is about antibiotics. It is, yeah. Yeah, antibiotics have been in the news all week and probably will for some time as well because of all the... the concerns that they're just not really working anymore. Mm. The, the last week a, a report was published, it was commissioned by the government in 2014, but um, it was published last week by Jim O'Neill, who actually isn't someone who's part of the industry, which um, I was speaking to someone who is part of the pharmaceutical industry. He's the CEO of Red X Pharma, which is a small cap pharma company. And he was saying how it's really refreshing to have someone like Jim O'Neill, who is actually an economist, doing this sort of report because he comes up with these ideas which are really interesting really unusual and one of them is 
charging extra taxes on any large pharmaceutical company which doesn't have an antibiotics program. I mean, we, we, we wrote a big feature about this recently, yeah. which um, yeah. I'm sure you read, uh, which is written by Alex Newman. Yeah. Uh, talking about this problem of antibiotic mm-hmm. resistance. And, and, and the problem was, I mean, companies just don't seem to want to invest in it because there's not enough money in it. Yeah, there's not enough money. If you go to go to the doctors and you get prescribed antibiotics, they're just not expensive. You, you're not mm, having to pay mm. very much for them. So that is why um, big pharmaceutical companies, it's just not lucrative for them when if they discover a, a good cancer drug or even respiratory and asthma treatment, the, the margins are massive. So it's much more worth their while from a financial perspective for them to do the in those work in those lucrative areas rather than the antibiotics so, so essentially Jim O'Neill is saying that you know a market driven approach is not necessarily working mm-hmm. we need to perhaps have some some kind of uh, planned uh, economy as yeah. it were within the uh, the pharma space yeah and uh, yeah well so he suggested this this levy on uh, on the pharma companies that don't um, don't invest in antibiotics a pay or play scheme and then using the funds from that to reward the companies that do come up with new antibiotics um, so yeah there hasn't been a new antibiotic a new class of antibiotic discovered since the 1980s and considering how how many are being used i was reading in the paper this morning actually um they had a there was a drop last year in how many antibiotics have been prescribed last year because doctors being told they just can't prescribe them as much anymore mm. but the drop was something like five million there's still 34 million antibiotics were prescribed last year. That seems like an astonishing amount. Sorry, thir- so 34 million individual prescriptions. Yeah. So, mm. that, I mean, that's half the population. Yeah. That's it's, it's crazy. Mm. And, uh, well... Um, well, I thought the biggest problem, you know, more, you know, more of a problem even than, than you know, uh, the prescription of antibiotics to mm. humans was was the use of antibiotics in the food chain. Yeah. And that's that's what many people think is causing the problem yeah. we have now. Yeah, and it, it, I, I, I'm not 100% sure. I don't know if anyone's 100% sure where the problem lies. I think it's probably a mixture of everything. But yeah, um, using antibiotics in animals farmed for meat is, is a problem. So when bacterial infections spread very quickly, so if a cow gets an infection, the whole herd tends to be prescribed antibiotics. Mm. Um, so then they're all, they've all got these antibiotics in them. And if they are then taken to the slaughterhouse while the antibiotics are still in their system, the bacteria grow resistant to them and then the humans eat the meat, which have the antibiotic-resistant bacteria in. Well, I'm all right. Uh, <laughs> I'm all right. I don't care. If you're a vegetarian, I don't, I don't you're fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. yeah, and I don't actually take antibiotics either. I don't quite remember the last time I had a cause of antibiotics. That's not the problem, then. That's what may, maybe is what people don't understand being the problem. It's no, not, I don't. I know I'm nothing it, about pharma. It's, really. I'm a, it's not the fact that individuals aren't going to be able to take them. It's the bacteria have grown resistant to the antibiotics. So evolution you, in action, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, mm, and evolution happens all the time. And actually, bacteria are some of the most efficient evolutionists compared to any other living, living thing. So whether if you've never been ill before, you've never taken them before, antibiotics, that is, and then you te- take them because you have to. Um, and it's not necessarily because you have a have an infection. Sometimes, quite often, actually, antibiotics are used in surgery, um, in a lot of major sh- surgery, to reduce the likelihood of an infection. And if they don't work because the bacteria in you has grown a resistance to them, it's not your fault. Terrifying. It is. Terrifying. And it's something that, yeah, the Dr. Neil Murray of Red X Pharma has said that we're all going to die of a nasty infection if nothing changes, which is a rather horrible thought. Um, Not me. (laughs) Not me. Uh, Anyway, listen. Okay, so we know that some of the large pharmaceutical companies are perhaps... um, not spending as much on antibiotic mm, research as they should be. Mm. Um, but there are some smaller companies that that are. Yeah. And if this levy were to go ahead, 
they're going to they're going to clean up here. Yeah. Well, yeah. One point three billion dollars is what has been suggested as a reward for finding a new antibiotic. And Motif Bio, which is a an aim listed stock, we we tipped it as a buy quite recently. They uh, they've got an antibiotic which is in the very late stages of development. Um, they're thinking that they're that it could be launched within the next year or so. And yeah, a, a, a nice payout of $1.3 billion would, uh, would, would do them quite well. It is, mm. uh, their sole purpose as a company is just at the moment is working on this antibiotic, this one antibiotic. And Redix Pharma as well, you say. And Redix Pharma, yeah, also has a few. Uh, they've got a couple of antibiotic candidates actually. And also, also an IC buy tip. And they've also, they also work in oncology. And immunology as well, but um, yeah, they've got a few a few antibiotics, and yeah, they'd benefit from a they'd benefit from a nice uh, a nice reward if they if their antibiotics were approved. Yeah, but it, I mean, it does seem that you know the, the uh, there is an opportunity there for mm. someone to exploit. I mean, regardless of whether you know this one point three billion windfall yeah. comes their way, there is an opportunity there. For someone to exploit. Mm, yeah, I say explo- exploit sounds like a terrible word. It's not really. I mean, There is an opportunity there for someone to do the human race an enormous favour <laughs> and also make some money in the process. Yeah. That is one of the best quotes I've read in the IC in a while. We're all going to die of a nasty infection. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite horrible really, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit bleak. I think I'll just stay at home and... <laughs> not take uh, any antibiotics. Not take any risks, not take any antibiotics, live in some kind of bubble. Um, yes, all right. God, dear. There you go. Anyway, mm. thank you, Megan. That's uh, quite a terrifying day. Yeah, but rather, an excellent rather morbid topic. <laughs> um, okay, right. Good week for Serco. Yeah, there were there were some good movements in terms of their contracts, things that are going to go better than they thought they would have. So yeah, Circo has been in need of some good news, and we've had them on a kind of recovery, speculative recovery buy tip uh, for a little bit. Uh, but yeah, they seem seem to be doing a, a bit better. So they kind of bumped up guidance on the 2016 financial year uh, revenue. Um, but I think the things that have come good are quite specific to this year. So I would caution against feeling especially optimistic about future years mm. there's not a widespread turnaround but um if you follow these stocks you do realize they kind of bounce around when it comes to um announcements on these contracts given the size of the contract yeah big old contracts a lot exactly. of the time absolutely um let's, I mean, let's uh, have a quick flick through uh, the results section i think one thing we we talked about before we came in here was the amount of companies using brexit now as an excuse for slightly poor performance yeah there were a few this week that mentioned brexit uncertainty um i'm not quite cynical about it as you i think there are uh, industries yep. where people are holding off business decisions you're being you're not as cynical as me about anything i'm, no, I'm just a true. cynic <laughs> you are a cynic um um, but no, I think in the property market, there's um, there's places where people have hold off, held off kind of rental decisions or companies around movements, you know, and you can, that's something that you can understand kind of makes sense that they might press pause on kind of a big decision. And that seems to be uh, limiting sentiment in the property market. But whether or not this sell-off that we've seen in property companies has gone over the top, I mean, some people, I'm sure, in terms of investors, are looking at now as a time to buy, especially if they think UK are going to vote to stay within the EU, which is what the betting odds say and also slightly what the polls say currently. Well, I think I think that's probably true. Uh, so we had uh, a property trust presenting at our event the other day, UK Commercial Property, which is part of Standard Life Group. You know, and their view is that, you know, the, prop- the returns of property are not going to be quite as spectacular in terms of capital returns in the year ahead, but they are steady uh, income generators. And, you know, there is demand for commercial property. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, if you look at Helical Bar, not only are they um, trading at a kind of quarter discount to forecast NAV, which I is mean, that's abs- huge. I think Jonas described it as absurdly cheap. <laughs> it's absurd. I mean, it's a- and then, but not only that, they're kind of trading a discount to their... Um, 
historic NAV, you know, what their <laughs> property assets were actually worth um, at the end of March. Yeah. So if you believe in that share price, you think that those value of those assets are going to go down. That's what the market thinks. Uh, for, far be it for me to say that's wrong. But if you look at the kind of income that they're getting and how they're lifting their gross rents, and if you look at the demand that we know is there in the rental market, yeah, yeah. it's hard to see how that asset value is not going to be realised. So uh, you wonder whether if the UK does vote to remain in the EU, well, clearly there'll be some kind of bounce back in in, the, in some of the property shares, um, as we wrote about in the feature last week, in terms of the ones that have been kind of short-sold yeah, yeah. the most. I mean, uh, it, but but still, uh, you kind of wonder whether this is a value opportunity, If but you are making a bit of a political uh, Judgment. Well, listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, as I've mentioned before, I'm not strongly one way or the other on the, on the, the referendum. But the odds of Remain do look stronger to me. Uh, I think both sides of the debates have made a complete balls of it. I think they're both talking absolute nonsense. But I think in this situation, people are likely to opt for the status quo. Yeah. And. You know, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to pass judgment on that. But I do think it means that the sentiment towards particular sectors, property in particular, has has been overdone. It's, mm. it's too negative. But I suppose if you make that decision, you are taking some political risk in your investment decision. And yeah, you have to <laughs> judge yeah. whether you are a pundit uh, okay. and the polls can be wrong. Okay, but let's say that you decided to go for this. You know, actually, we think we're likely to remain. Property has been oversold. I'm going to you know, pile into these massive discounts in commercial property trusts and real estate investment trusts. Um, and we vote to leave. So you're probably going to lose a bit more money. But ultimately, what I also believe quite strongly is that it will soon become apparent that were we to be independent, I don't think the Armageddon that people predicted is very likely either. And people would suddenly realise it's business as usual and property prices would bounce back or property yeah, yeah. share prices would bounce back too. So I, I, th- I think it's a kind of one-way bet. Land, they're not making any more of it. Well, indeed. I mean, and, and certainly things like retail sheds, you know, you can't, you can't easily build a new retail park these days because you can't get planning permission for it. And that, you know, and that's kind of what what these assets are. Another company that um, talked about Brexit was Mighty Group, um, and Mark Robinson, who covers the stock, uh, said that he didn't think it really needed to have bothered. Management didn't need to have bothered using the kind of Brexit shtick, as he called it. Um, he thought these were pretty solid. Uh, a set of results but management did say that because of the EU referendum that there were some decisions by clients to kind of delay or cancel projects as a result so it's a difficult one because you know how much do you take the management at their word it's a convenient ready-made excuse if you're a management manager to say that's it it's probably a convenient ready-made excuse if you don't want to continue a contract to cite Brexit from the other side for the client well yeah as well you yeah. know so I, you kind of you have to kind of make a call in those uh, sectors that you think it's a justified excuse um but if you kind of try and put that to the side uh, mark felt is you know pretty uh, strong set of results given okay i mean you know listen i i, I accept that brexit the referendum the, let's not call it brexit because that's not what it is it's, let's call it the referendum um you know it has hasn't it had an effect on investment decisions and we know you know as i've mentioned on this podcast before in the world of advertising it's been quite tough people have put advertising decisions on hold mm. uh, advertising expenditure has been held back and that's affected all the newspapers don't you know you can see it you can see the numbers itv have had this problem as well and that was reported in the magazine a few weeks back you know so it's definitely happening yeah sitting in this building we can't really say yeah it's yeah. Not, yeah it's definitely happening i don't think it's, it's an excuse in the sense that you know it's not real i think it's an excuse um 
that the companies who would otherwise have been placing that advertising are using because they didn't really want to advertise in the first place because growth is not there to be had. Yeah. That's my concern. Yeah, yeah. And that's nothing to do with Brexit. It's, it's just quite, brought it into focus. And it's just quite hard to tell whether that's the case in the end, you know, once you talk to the companies, because we're not there in the, in the conversations that they're having, you know, it's yeah, quite hard to yeah. judge that. But I suppose what you have to do is try and think about how long you think that might go on, which way you think it might go. I, but yeah, I think that's why the feature last week was helpful, yeah. you know, allowing people to at least just consider it, or maybe it's just sit on your hands and wait and see what happens. Yeah. Well, what we certainly do know is that growth is hard to come by, wherever you are, regardless of whether there's a referendum or not. Exactly right. Uh, okay, I mean, let's talk uh, about some other results we've got. Megan, let's see what you've got in the results section this week. You've had a, yeah. an interesting... I had a bit of range this week. Ranging <laughs> week. Let's talk about Medicex to start with, yeah. which I'm interested in because I think this is a really interesting property story mm. again. Uh, yeah, and again, this highlights the strength of property as an investment. Uh, and in this case, it's very specifically about healthcare property. Med- Medicex or Medix or however, however you say it, they um they own... we don't know how to say any of the companies <laughs> that we come to. <laughs> they they own properties which are used for the NHS. They they use for GPs and all their ninety well, percent of their rent comes from the government via via the NHS, um, which gives them a pretty nice revenue stream. But yeah, they're, they're what I found interesting about doing these results was um, they're actually thinking that they're going to benefit from the NHS struggling, and you'd think that because they receive a lot of revenue from the NHS. It would not be so good for them. But because the NHS is struggling, they're having to merge a lot of their primary care facilities. There's been a lot of talk about GPs and physios and pharmacies all coming under one roof. And for that, we're going to need more buildings. They're kind of like mini hospitals yeah, almost, yeah, really. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's exactly it. It's to re- reduce the pressure on um, A&E, which has been... Mm. And ambulances, which are always in the news about how, how much they're struggling. And actually, the NHS came out with their figures, their full-year figures, I think it was last week. Um, and they were just oh, in o- overspend. Oh, oh it's billions, wasn't it? So two and a half billion yeah. or something overspend. Yeah, it was massive. It was it was huge. Um, so you know, these, so these are purpose-built uh, primary care facilities that yeah. will house GPs and, and other things that would usually perhaps in the past have gone to the hospital yeah. to, to to do X-rays, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And uh, yeah, and it's a kind of it's a new a newitized revenue stream mm-hmm. which underpins like very healthy dividends for these companies. Yeah. 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 And there's, a, I was just going to say, there's a, there's a big longer term policy direction to enhance primary care, especially in an ageing population, because mm. they can't be dealing with having everyone go to hospital. Mm. But a lot of those kind of policies have struggled to make that happen. So it would be interesting to see whether, you know, this kind of enhancement of primary care through the kind of structures uh, that this company are providing take, you know, get the kind of... Um, attention and get the kind of people in them that they need yeah yeah, yeah. i think i think it, look fa- it looks fascinating medicax and you yeah. know it's something i would certainly consider for my portfolio as mm. both an income play and a growth play because yeah. i think you know the two things kind of feed into one another you've got primary health properties is the other one in this space isn't it, it is yeah that yeah it's another another property one which um yeah it says it in the name primary health care facilities um and i think jonas is particularly bullish on that one he uh, mm. he re- he really likes that um that stock um and again yeah they're a lot of revenue from the nhs and it's a, it's a solid revenue stream they're not uh, going to stop getting money from uh, absolutely so, so let's move from uh, medicex to mediclinic because i know nothing yeah. about this because this is a south african business that we haven't really seen much of before that's essentially reversed into a company that was listed on the stock market that it that it bought yeah yeah exactly so yeah a south african healthcare 
operator. Um, they own a lot of hospitals um, and primary healthcare facilities in South Africa, also in Switzerland. Actually, the majority of their revenue comes from their Swiss business, um, and they 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 have been inching towards the London market for quite a while. They they bought a big big share of Spire, which is the UK. Um, hospital company also is also listed and they bought a lot large um, share in that uh, last year last June and then they um, were involved in a bit of a battle over the acquisition of Al Noor which is a London listed but it's a Dubai based um, healthcare operator and they own lots of hospitals in the Middle East and Mediclinic and NPS which is also London listed Middle Eastern um, healthcare company they were in a bit of a acquisition battle over over buying uh, Al Noor but Mediclinic won and they reversed um, reversed into it which gave them the London listing that they wanted and seems to be doing pretty well the results are results are not that easy to understand because there's not a lot of comparison there because it's the, the, their first real year is uh, a much much larger company but uh, yeah it's uh, they, they seem to be doing fine they we've also speculated that they're going to continue to look for acquisitions um that's actually the reason for our spire um tip by tip because uh H- harriet speculated that mediclinic might look to acquire spire because it's uh, it's on the acquisition hunt at the moment mm. it's uh, it's an interesting company yeah one's keeping an eye on them mm, one's definitely. keeping an eye on them yeah Okay, I mean, uh, Bradley's not here, as we mentioned earlier, but he's been really busy this week, hasn't he? And it's, uh, it's a shame he's not here because he's covered at least half a dozen companies here, but uh, particularly interesting Thomas Cook, which has been having a horrible time. Yeah, no one wants share to fly price, to a that Turkey is, that anymore. That is an ugly share price. People are cancelling their Turkish holidays and flying to the Canary Islands instead. Uh, and it's, I think it's kind of struggling to keep up, but it's yeah. been switching routes and doing its best. But not as quickly as, as it perhaps could have. Uh, but no. there's another one that I'd never heard of before. Uh, well, I had heard of it, but I didn't really look at it. On the Beach. On the Beach, not the Neil Young album, one of my favourites. Um, but uh, Showing your age, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> I think sure. it's one of my dad's favourites. <laughs> <laughs> Showing my wannabe age. Um, have you not seen them advertising on the tube? Our online I don't, get, I don't get the tube. Well, there you go. They advertise people that are on the tube and hate being on the tube and want to go on holiday. I hate being on the tube, so I don't get on the tube. I don't have to. I've got legs. <laughs> so, yeah, they're an online travel agent. Um, and they also have been dealing with the fact that people don't really want to travel to places that have been subject to terrorism or kind of geopolitical instability in general. So kind of Turkey um, and also the Northern Africa, the beaches of Northern Africa. But they um, never really had the exposure to that in the way that Thomas Cook did no, in the exa- first place. No, exactly right. Exactly right. So they, they are doing quite well because of that, even with this reduction in consumer confidence which I suppose might take uh, start to take after the year end these results only in run to March but they you know their revenue grew more than a fifth um, and it's one of those recent floats that seems to be doing okay but they always seem to be doing okay until they collapse terribly well is it, is it a normal travel agent or is it is it targeting a particular demographic is it up market is it I mean I don't know I don't I don't get the tube you've seen the advertising I've seen the advertising <laughs> but I've never actually used it um, yeah I think it's just kind of online travel agent that tar- it looks like it kind of just targets I don't know y- yuppies uh, on the way to work I, I know absolutely nothing about it <laughs> I know it's, <laughs> sorry that's terrible isn't it no no because they don't exist anymore I, say, I know more yeah. about the Neil Young album there's a great song at the end Ambulance Blues so there you go okay fine well it ties neatly in with our healthcare um, discussion um, I mean another company that I've always enjoyed uh, reading about writing about but no longer eating unfortunately is Cranswick um, I mean this is a, a tremendous company it's a meat processor yeah, exactly. I did, right. I did used to eat meat and I stopped. And when I ate meat, I tipped this and 
those shares have just kept flying. I mean, it's an amazing, an amazing business. And another business uh, that has uh, grown well through acquisition as well. So it's um, been trying to diversify um, into the kind of chicken, kind of UK poultry um, market. So it bought Benson Park in 2014. And after this, the end of this period, which was end of March, it um, bought Crown Chicken. Um, so it's kind of growing its revenue streams all the time. So it's diversified, but not diversified so much that vegetarians like yourself, John, would be uh, heading down there. Uh, but yeah, it's just a well-managed company that's managed consistent uh, growth. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, from, from what I understand about Cranswick as well, they, I mean, you know, in the past, British the British market was serviced by Denmark largely for its bacon. And Cranswick seems to have been involved in, in in a reversal of that and you know part part of what as i understand it part of what they have done is there there are much higher standards of animal husbandry there mm. uh you know maybe that plays into the antibiotic thing as well who there's, knows there's also been in the kind of market scandals over meat um hasn't there you know in terms of mince meat and mm. the kind of things that have crept in their horse and the whole horse meat scandal so mm. you can understand why there might be a domestic bias now from buyers to buy buy uk um, or to know where it, where it's coming from yeah it's uh, tremendous but, yeah, business but they've invested well to up their capacity at the points where demand has risen so you know they're doing exactly what you really want a food producer to do um, and they're also buying other businesses that are doing the same so yeah 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 absolutely Okay, I mean, there are so many results in the magazine this week. We could go on all day. We've got yeah. Shaftesbury, you know, which is continuing to do well. London Property, we've got... Delarue, Delaru, interesting. First year of a five-year plan. Have a look at that. They, they've they've kind of had an uptick in investor sentiment. I mean, that's um, been a horrible business for a long time. Yeah, well. and operating in a market you'd expect is exactly the wrong one to be in, which is printing bank notes. And plastic, talk- plastic notes is doing but, that. They but, seem popular, don't they? But yeah, the plastic uh, notes and the security side of the business is doing well, and they seem to be emphasising the right parts. We've yeah. had Paragon with the whole buy-to-let peak. Um, their pipeline is down as, you know, um, the increase in stamp duty is stopping people taking out buy-to-let mortgages, but they're diversifying into banking and asset finance. So that's quite an interesting one. And we've got first results from New Bank, New C- Bank, Old Bank, but newly listed bank, CYBG, Clydesdale and Yorkshire, I think that is. Yeah, Clydesdale and Yorkshire banking brands under, yeah, CYBG. That's doing well um, costs are still high um, it had a period of underinvestment under the under its kind of former owners um, the National Australia uh, Banking Group um, and uh, yeah but they are yeah they're going well they're still at a discount to the wider market and that's because they just don't have a decent return on equity they need to grow their loan book but they just um, need to get bigger they need to get bigger yeah it's, it's, it's not the most complicated game in that respect no. um, but uh, you know it's a difficult time to grow a uh, profitable business yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, like I said, too many results to even even talk through in brief mentions. Um, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Ian. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, I said loads of good coverage this week. Um, loads of really important themes. I think we've we've managed to cover in the magazine too. The cover feature this week, which is why I haven't discussed it, is our annual top fifty ETF survey, uh, which is put together by the personal finance team, and they will undoubtedly be discussing this on their podcast which is recorded tomorrow the reason we do this is because a lot of investors who want to really get the benefit of investing but without the the hassle and the headaches and the and the risk and the fear and the price of investing through you know equities uh, is to use etfs to build our portfolios based on asset allocation strategies and uh, yeah here we give 50 across a, a broad range of, of segments we've got the next update in the 50 object series from philip ryland which is uh, which is a good read lots more uh, Jonas Crossan has looked at uh, Sadiq Khan's potential 
rent cap, which he's proposing for London, and uh, I think Jonas's view that it ain't gonna happen. Lots more in the uh, comment section. Chris Dillo, Simon Thompson, uh, those things. Bargain shares portfolio, stock screen sector focus, as we as we usually have. Taking stock is a wonderful. How could read I forget taking week. stocking? <laughs> taking stock on telecoms regulation. You've got to. You've got to read that. It is a good column, Ian. It is a good column. Yeah, yeah. I'll wait for all my letters to come in. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Algie Hall gave a presentation at the event on Tuesday uh, about uh, accounts receivables in context of Rolls Royce's ongoing total care contracts. And he got laughs. So, you know, you never know, Ian. You never know. You never know. Um, anyway, lots in the magazine. Lots of news. Lots of comment. Lots of results. Lots of coverage. It's a, it's a massive issue this week. Over 80-odd 80, 80 pages. Hopefully be a bit smaller next week. Uh, I won't be around. I'm, uh, I'm off to uh, on my holes. Uh, but I'm no, no doubt Ian will be. Well, I won't be on the beach. <laughs> I don't do beaches. Cities. So, yeah. I won't be here next week. Uh, I'm off my holes, but uh, I'm sure that uh, I leave you in good hands with uh, with Ian and the rest of the team. In the meantime, go pick up the magazine. Top 50 ETFs available in all good news agents. £4.70. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.